did you ever talk to Kobe or, or anything like that at any point throughout the uh, the, the case? <laughs> that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question because the answer is no. There were some times when he would be coming into court down the hall and I would be sitting outside the courtroom um, and when he was going to go in and a couple times he made a point to catch my eye and he would give me a glare. Like if he didn't like a story, he would give me a, a glare like, like, um, like, uh, you know, I, I got you. I know, I know who you are, you know, that kind of thing. Welcome back to Outside the Looking Glass. Well, back is a strong word because it's officially been like 14 months since I released one of these. But my name is Luca Evans, and this is the show where we interview fellow creatives and journalists about their personal experience working on a big project in their careers. Well, for all 10 of my loyal listeners out there, as Anchor tells me, I had originally just intended for this podcast to be a short six-episode series. I interviewed incredible people like The Ringer's Mirren Fader and renowned author Roland Lazenby. But it was nearing fall 2020 and I was getting ready to head into a school year filled with the uncertainty of COVID. And what a weird year it was. But a whole lot happened. I served as the managing editor of my student newspaper, I met my amazing girlfriend, and I started freelancing for the LA Times, all of which I'm extremely lucky and grateful for. In one of my most daunting assignments for the Times, I was asked to help out with coverage of the restraining order hearing for Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer. There, I had the opportunity to work with Steve Henson, the assistant sports editor for The Times, who told me a bit about his experience covering the Kobe Bryant sexual assault case back in 2003. I had an assignment for a class to put together a podcast interviewing someone, and I thought, what better to resurrect his show back from the dead and have a conversation with Steve about his experiences covering both cases. I want to preface this segment with a trigger warning for descriptions of sexual assault. For context, the late Bryant, a legendary basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers, was accused of sexual assault in a hotel in Eagle, Colorado in 2003, an incredibly major story that led to a settlement in early 2005. Bauer is currently under criminal investigation for sexual assault, the hearing coming for a request by his accuser to extend a restraining order against him. Steve was a sports editor and writer at the Times for 22 years starting in 1985, and he returned in 2019 after six years with Yahoo Sports and six years with the USA Today Sports Media Group. Without further ado, let's hop in. So going back to, you know, 2003, 2004, um, you were, I believe, you know, 20 uh, or so years into your career at the Times. And, you know, at that point, um, what kind of you know, experience did you have with covering cases like like this one, like the Kobe Bryant case? Um, obviously, nothing can really compare to that. But you know, what what sort of experience did you have before that, and, and how were you sort of first put on this this beat? Yeah, so I was the UCLA football and basketball beat writer at the time, and I had also spent uh, a, a couple years doing uh, GA features. Um, had been doing a lot of travel and um, when the news broke that Kobe was uh, arrested for sexual assault in Vail, Colorado, it was up in the mountains. He had just gotten a procedure done on his knee. Um, I guess some of the best orthopedic doctors in the country are up there in the, in the mountains, probably because a lot of people break bones from ski injuries. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, Kobe was up there and he had stayed um, uh, for a night in a, in a hotel and he had had a sexual encounter with a woman, a young woman who worked at the hotel. 
And so when that broke, uh, Dave, I remember Dave Morgan called me the next morning and said, um, you know, jump on a plane and get to Vail and let's start reporting on this. And so I did. And it, I, I think I was the choice. One reason was I basketball season ended with the final, you know, with the final four in April and, uh, you know, college football hadn't started yet. So I was sort of off and, um, you know, and, and I was available. So mm-hmm. I, I got the nod basically to, to do this assignment. And once it started, it just didn't stop. It lasted the, the, the pre-trial um, uh, hearings and filings and uh, the case itself lasted 15 months. Um, and uh, it was up there in Eagle, Colorado. And I spent uh, probably about half of my days in, uh, in Eagle and Vale, Colorado, up there in the mountains, um, and about half the time back home. But it, I was there a lot. I knew I had been there quite a bit when I was attending my second Eagle County uh, rodeo, uh, and their annual rodeo in August. Um, and uh, that was kind of a reporting uh, a place to report because that the people that attended the Eagle County, um, you know, County fair and rodeo were the jury pool, basically, you know, that that's where the jurors were going to come from was from the local town folk. And, uh, it was great to do a lot of, um, reporting, you know, about what the demographics were and what, uh, the jury, the composition of the jury might be, um, you know, one thing for certain was that there would be probably no African-Americans on the jury because there was less than 1% of Eagle County was African-American. And there was definitely a racial component to the, to the, to the Kobe case that I, I don't think uh, that many people were, were as aware of as, as maybe they could have been. So I wrote 155 stories on that case it's just a media circus up there, which is exactly what it was. It was very competitive to break stories. Um, it was everybody from the New York times. And of course the LA times, uh, we covered it as hard as anybody because Kobe was, you know, was, was a Laker, um, and well into his Lakers career. And, uh, and then it was, there was no TMZ back then, but there was a, you know, there was a, uh, a, a TV show called Celebrity Justice, and they covered it big. And so it was everything from the tabloids to the, um, you know, the, the finest journalism of the, you know, of the New York Times, the LA Times, and the Washington Post. So um, it was very competitive. Yeah, so it, it sounds like, you know, this news broke, and then you immediately, you know, the next day hopped on a plane, and then that was just your life, you know, for... 15 months or so, or, or, you know, how long you said the case lasted. Um, just talking about, you know, going to Colorado in this like media circus with, you know, suddenly this high pressure environment away from home, just completely different from LA, you know, what was your kind of day to day like as far as, you, you know, just going to the courthouse? And what was the feeling of kind of you know, I got, I got to think it must be just like up in the mountains and just on this beat constantly. There has to be an aspect of loneliness there. So what were you kind of feeling, you know, as you were going through this, uh, this case? Um, you, you know, from a journalism standpoint, the thing that I really took away from it and I, I, I came to enjoy was that everything I wrote was straight down the middle. I didn't, 
you know, did my very best not to, you know, um, inject any opinion about what I thought might have happened. Um, and uh, and I, uh, when you're writing just straight news like that, for the most part, I mean, there were some feature stories to do for sure, but but most of the were daily stories were were you know hard news, and you just remove your ego from that. I mean, I was used to being a sports writer, you know, covering um, you know college and professional basketball and football and baseball games, and uh, and you you wanted your writing to have flair, and uh, with a case like this, that was no longer appropriate and um, I, I actually came to enjoy uh, writing without injecting my you know my ego and my flair into the stories yeah absolutely um, and you know mentioning kind of this media circus that that took place you know what was it like being in that kind of high pressure environment you know every single day as as a reporter you know always kind of wanting to be the one to, to, to break a story first and just the competitiveness with, you know, like you mentioned, the New York Times and, and things like that. What was that like from your perspective of just, just having that kind of pressure to constantly, you know, get things out? Um, the hardest thing in, in covering that case, uh, especially having no experience covering, um, you know, like jurisprudence basically was, developing sources, getting people to talk, you know, um, his attorneys were completely tight lipped. They were phenomenal attorneys, but they, you, you couldn't even get them to talk about anything off the record. Um, the only time they would reach out to you was if they thought, you know, you had written something unfair to their client. They were just absolute total advocates for, for their client, which is what they are. The, the, the frustrating part was the tabloids didn't have to have, you know, stuff, you know, sourced properly. They would just go on a flyer and they would write something and, and it would be salacious. And some people even used the woman's name, which uh, obviously at the LA Times and other, um, you know, reputable uh, journalistic outlets, you didn't, you didn't publish the name of a, of a, of a uh, alleged victim of a, of a sexual crime or any identifying information. I mean, I, I ended up knowing a lot of stuff about this woman and, and hardly any of it was, I, we were able to publish because it would have sort of given away her identity. Right. And uh, um, so, so that, that you, so you sort of felt like your hands were tied a little bit compared to like the tabloids and um, the, the more, you know, like the British publications mm -hmm. would be there and they would, they would, uh, they would cover it with no holds barred. Um, and uh, you just had to really focus on, um, getting the court filings, um, every day I'd go to the court and, you know, it was kind of this home, this little homespun, um, court and judicial system up there that this was com a completely new experience for them. They had never had the, the kind of, you know, microscope and, 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 and scrutiny that, uh, uh, you know, that the, the transpired when the Kobe case happened and they were overwhelmed to an extent, but some of those people you could develop a trusting relationship with. And uh, I was able to get a, a lot of the court filings immediately when they were filed ahead of other people, just by being, um, just by being friendly and developing uh, relationships. 
you know, what happened at that hotel, um, it's the same, um, really, it, it, where you sort of humble yourself is when you recognize and realize, and it's the same with the current Trevor Bauer uh, situation, that there are only two people that know what happened in the room. That's, that, to me, is an intriguing aspect of both of these cases, is that really the only two people that know what happened are the two people that were in the room. And, um, and yeah. so, it, 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 um, for me, I was extremely reluctant, even talking to friends um, or, or, you know, family members to kind of offer my opinion because my opinion, I, I knew full well, wasn't educated enough, even though I was, you know, immersed in the details of the case as much as anybody. Um, I still and still to this day don't know if it was consensual or if it was a crime. Did you ever kind of unconsciously or consciously form your, you know, own opinion about what, you know, had happened with both cases and, you know, just kind of have to work to keep that out of your reporting? Or was that sort of something you always kind of kept, you know, locked away, so to speak? Yeah, I just always remind myself that I wasn't in the room, so I really don't know. It's, it's the same with anybody else. Um, you know, people have different points of view and, and come from different life experiences, which color the way they look at something like this. Um, but, uh, for me, I just would keep reminding myself that, that, that I wasn't there now, what probably the, you know, the most stark difference between the Kobe case and, and the Trevor Bauer case is the advent of, uh, social media you know, and the internet, when, when this happened with Kobe, um, you know, there was, there was an internet obviously, and that you could go online and my stories published online. Um, but there was no, uh, there, the, there weren't smartphones. There was no texting. There was yeah. no Instagram. Um, and in the Bauer case, um, you know, in the, in the Bauer case, the bulk of the evidence is Instagram direct messages between Trevor and the, you know, his, his accuser and text messages between the two of them and the text messages from them to other people. In other words, it's, it's, it's on the record, you know, so the issues of motive, consent, uh, respecting boundaries, truthfulness, um, all of those in the Bauer case are litigated primarily by the, the hard evidence of, of these DMs and text messages. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous difference. Um, none of that existed with, 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 you know, and in Kobe's case anyway, it was a chance encounter. Um, you know, the, this, the woman, uh, he was going to check into the hotel. The woman was at the concierge desk and she volunteered to give him a tour of the, of the, the facility, you know, the hotel and the grounds. It was a, it was a resort. You know, her actions over the next 24, 48 hours were, were documented pretty well. And the same with his, um, you know, his, his interview with the police, what he said, what he didn't say, what his emotions were, all that stuff. But there was no, you know, him texting her or, uh, uh, you know, asking her how she was or, or like the, like what happened in it likes what certainly happened in the, um, in the Bauer case. It's a huge difference.
right. And I think one thing that I noticed that was interesting with the Bauer case is um, we almost, or that was a factor, is we almost kind of had a picture of, you know, or more of a picture of who he was in his personal and in private life and that kind of thing, you know, who he was off the field because of, you know, his social media presence and that kind of thing. And, you know, even his lawyers, obviously, like, you know, bringing up the Sports Illustrated article that, you know, had been published on him with his rules of dating and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I think Kobe, from what I know, obviously, I think, you know, like you said, he was so focused on basketball and social media wasn't around at that time. And he, you know, was kind of walled off in, in his private life. And do you think that was kind of a, a difference between the cases as well, just with, you know, Kobe being such a large figure that we didn't know much about. And then all of a sudden there's this sudden revelation and, you know, that makes things more shocking and kind of difficult to sort out and, and yeah. yeah with Bauer um he had revealed some of his you know his beliefs and his and 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 his you know desires and his and his oddity and you know uh, through social media his you know his um uh his, his aggressiveness his bullying um without a doubt with Kobe he was very private and um there was he was obviously a public figure because he was playing for the lakers for five years and there was very intense coverage so you got to know kobe basically through the lens of of writers and and uh broadcasters and um and teammates occasionally you know like Shaq. um there is to me there is a thread of similarity between kobe and trevor bauer um you know, you've kind of hit it on the head. It's uh, they were both extremely focused on what they on, on what they did to the point where they were sort of socially um, uh, backward. Um, they they weren't as as socially adept as maybe um, a lot of other people their age because they were so locked into becoming the best that they uh, could be at their at their profession. Super competitive people um, and super aggressive uh you know and um in bauer's case uh he it's 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 all on the record he didn't have friends in high school he wasn't really well liked in college um he didn't he just hasn't had many friends and the only way he's found himself comfortable to express himself is through social media because you know maybe because you're not actually in in the same room with somebody but you're doing it, you know, on your phone or on your, on your laptop. And with Kobe, he didn't have, he didn't have that, that, um, you know, that opportunity to do that sort of stuff because it didn't exist. Um, but I think that, um, that the thread between them, they're both so competitive that, it, that I see that it sort of spilled over in their strategy in the case. Kobe was a hundred percent unwilling to, um reach some sort of quick settlement with this woman uh and, and then once he was charged with with the crime um you know he was fighting it uh with everything he had and uh bauer sort of the same way you know he um according to his attorneys he's never even entertained the the, the notion of of settling 
um, to keep some of this these details uh, out of the you know the the public, and instead he actually opted to to go through with that restraining order hearing, and as you as you know, Luca, there was four full days of testimony, and it was in the news every day, and I think it it's really important to Trevor Bauer to win, and I think it was extremely important to Kobe Bryant to win. Um, it's just the kind of people they are. Well, thanks so much, Steve. Is there anything else, you know, you wanted to add that I didn't mention, anything like that? No, thank you for having me on, Luca. Um, it's been, it's been really been a pleasure um, working with you. You're good when you start typing. So uh, uh, thank you. Thanks so much, Steve. I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, likewise, I look forward to working with you more. But, so thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate you coming on.